Amen. I'd like for you to take God's word with me tonight and turn to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles in chapter 36. I'm speaking with our brother John this afternoon and he was sharing with me a text that the Lord had been speaking to him about this morning. And in preparing this afternoon to preach his word, I couldn't escape this text. And so I believe it is the Lord's leading for me to open it and share it with you tonight. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I don't think you need me or anyone else to tell you that the condition of our land is a very dark one. And if we're not careful, we can try to flippantly overlook the state of Christianity and the condition, the condition of the church. In fact, that's the easiest thing to do, I think, isn't it? When we consider Christianity today, when we consider the spiritual health of a nation, it's easy to perhaps, it's easier to be jovial and flippant and perhaps laugh about things and try not to get too serious as the mindset of many people. But that just has never been, that has never been the heart and mind of God's servants. We come to this last chapter of 2 Chronicles and it is a very, very grim one in some ways, but there's hope. It ends with hope. And so I want you to hear me tonight that this sermon may seem a little grim to begin with, but it will end with hope. 2 Chronicles 36 and verse number 11, we've come to the point when Zedekiah is made king. And Zedekiah was one and 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck, hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord 
and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. We'll stop our reading there. We'll read the last two verses in just a little while. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask of thee now as we open thy word to speak. We pray that our hearts may be stilled and my spirit may open not just the words of this book, the pages of this book, but we pray that our hearts, that deep inner man may be open to hear thy word. And we ask of thee to enable us to obey it. Help us, Father, now to submit to thy word. We pray for the lost this evening. Those who are in danger, in danger of experiencing that ultimate judgment that is to come. In mercy, deliver them before it be too late. Awaken thy people, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The Bible says in verse number 16, they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words and misused his prophets. Look at this next phrase. Until, listen, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. I want you to, to sense the weight of those words. They had awakened the wrath of God to the point that there was no more remedy, literally no more healing. The anger and wrath of God was stirred to such a capacity that there was no longer any solution, no longer an opportunity to turn. And perhaps you're here this evening and you have continued in your sin refusing to repent of your sin and turn unto God through his son, the Lord Jesus. I warn you by God's word that there may come a time when you may stir his wrath to such a degree and level after rejecting him so much that there is no longer a remedy. We are living in perilous times, and we say this frequently, things are progressively getting darker. And I believe that the judgment of God is imminent. And I don't just mean the last and final judgment, but I also refer to the possibility of God judging His people and nations because of their disobedience. 
But we ask, I think it's important to ask, how did we get here? We find it in this text. We find it began in many ways with evil on the throne. I want you to think for a moment. A nation rises, often somebody once said, everything rises or falls on leadership. You heard that before? And if you've ever been in the place of the position of leadership, you know the weight of that. Whether it be in your place of employment, maybe you've been given some measure of leadership, management, you understand. But if you do not do your job appropriately, then everyone beneath you will be affected by that. And we are viewing our own nation today in light of this nation that we read about in 2 Chronicles 36. And when Zedekiah had become the king, a 21-year-old boy, you could say, a young man reigning 11 years, the scriptures describe the behavior of those who were in power. And the Bible says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. And any time a nation has leadership that does evil in the sight of the Lord our God, especially when that nation knows the word of God and has known the blessing of God, then that nation is on dangerous ground. And I think our own nation is there today. I don't think it'll take long before we find that those who lead and govern our land Although we must pray for them, it will not take us long to see that they have done evil in the sight of our God. It was brought to my attention this week that they are proposing an even more loose abortion law. Right now it's being proposed that abortion be permitted until the very delivery itself in this land. That's one of many laws that have been proposed and passed even over the last year. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. Anytime a nation's leaders refuse to listen to God's word and God's people, he shows a great deal of pride. Anytime a nation's representative leaders refuse to consider the word of God in their jurisdiction, in their making and passing of laws and regulations and proposals, anytime they refuse to listen to God, they demonstrate the very height of pride and place himself beneath the judgment of God. I think one of the most grievous things that has been observed over the last year is the lack of a call for prayer. Perhaps one of the first times in this nation's, at least the last couple of hundred years, any time a national crisis like this has been on our hands, those in leadership have called for prayer, understanding that we have a sovereign God who is able to change things. But there wasn't even a mention of it. Demonstrating great pride. 
as if we don't need God, we can handle this ourselves. We can pump out a number of different vaccines and that'll solve the problem. We'll handle it ourselves. We don't really need God. We'll order this and orchestrate this and set up a bunch of rules and regulations and expectations. And I'm not saying that all those are altogether wrong, but I am saying to imagine we can take care of life's problems without God is absolute folly. And such was the behavior of Zedekiah. Psalm chapter 12, David writes and says at the last verse, the wicked walk on every side. When? When the vilest men are exalted. There is a national consequence when leaders reject willfully and intentionally Christ in his word. When our leaders reject the counsel of God, and instead of exalt that which is God-honoring and God-fearing, when they exalt vile men, then wickedness will abound. This was brought to my attention this morning. I'm not sure, perhaps you've seen it. On the front page of a newspaper, semi-gods, the England football team. Semi-gods, that's what we've exalted today. Football players are now half-god. And when a nation exalts vile men, by the way, any man besides the Lord Jesus is vile, and especially those who live in contradiction to God's word with no apparent adherence to Christ and his word, then there will be sure to be found wickedness all around. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 29 and verse number 12, if a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. Now think about that. If a ruler hearken to lies, meaning if what he listens to be lies. That's an indication of something, that his servants are wicked. And who leaders, rulers listen to will often determine the kind of followers and subjects they end up having. In verse number 12, he did that which was evil, humbled not himself. In verse number 13, he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God, who was pleading with him, look, I've been where you are. Turn your eyes to God. And he rebelled against that counsel. In verse number 13, and he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. And can I tell you, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop in the seats, the houses of parliament. It doesn't stop on, on the thrones of leadership and authority, but it trickles down, doesn't it? And that be what leads a nation then Oftentimes, that is what God has given to a nation because that's what the nation has desired. There's something very dangerous about one who stiffens his neck and hardens his heart from turning to the Lord. And perhaps you're here tonight and you have never, you have not yet repented of your sins. You haven't yet turned unto the Lord. And you know, even tonight, you know that you must and you should 
turn to Christ. You must turn from your sins, but yet something within you says, no, I do not want to turn to Christ. I do not want to turn away from my sins. And you are tonight, even as I preach, you are hardening your heart and stiffening your neck as if no one will turn you. Can I tell you humbly tonight that you are on the road to destruction with no remedy? And if you choose to continue the way that you are going with a hardened neck, a stiff neck and hardened heart, the scriptures say you will cross a line of no return. You will reach a point where there is no more healing offered unto you. There's no more chance or hope. I in love tonight warn you. Every once in a while people imagine that the gospel is a gospel, a message of love, and it is. Sometimes people imagine that in love we should only speak about kind and soft and gentle and fluffy and warm, lovely feelings and thoughts. But in love, God tells us, turn. In love, God warns us that the path that we are on is a path to destruction. I have this week warned kindly and as lovingly as my heart would allow me, I've warned some folks. But this king, as many rulers are today, and therefore many of this land's inhabitants, this king was very obstinate, refusing to repent. Now watch, evil on the throne often leads to evil in the pulpit. Look at the next description of the land. Yes, the king did that which was evil. But in verse 14, moreover, meaning even worse than that, all the chief of the priests. Here we go. If there should be one place we ought to find a refuge and light in a dark world, it ought to be from the pulpit of God's place, of God's house. It ought to be there where men open the word and declare, thus saith the Lord. That ought to be a place of light and hope. It ought to be a place where you can go when you're not sure what is true and what is right and ought to be able to hear Something from God. But the chief of the priests, those are the men of the highest authority in God's house amongst God's people. They transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. Evil on the throne and evil in the pulpit, which leads to evil in the pew. The Bible says in verse 14, all the chief of the priests and the people. Because after all, well, if this is the way that our nation's being led, and if this is the way the government be leading, and, and the men in the pulpit are, 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 are living like this, and leading like this, and talking like this, it's a whole lot easier for the people in the pew to go with the flow. That's exactly what happened to Israel, to God's people. The Bible says in verse 14, they transgressed. They crossed the line. That's what it means. Missed the mark. 
They transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. I don't think it takes too long to recognize that oftentimes the church looks more like the world than it does the church. And we have crossed the line somewhere in our efforts, in our attempts to be palatable to a lost world, in our effort to try to be winsome and winning to a lost world. We've dumbed down and watered down the message so much and become uh, so comfortable and seeker-friendly in such a way that we have transgressed after all the abominations of the heathen in an effort to become relative to the world in which we live, we become absolutely useless and no different. Embracing, embracing the abominations of this world. There's been rejoicing in the streets over the Methodist decision this week on how they'll view marriage. Rejoicing in the streets. I saw an article today. What would Jesus do when pride comes to town? And the author of the writer in the article had the audacity to say that he'd grab a flag and march with them. Blasphemy. And no wonder the nation is under such darkness and oppression when not just rulers are evil, but those who stand in the pulpit no longer uphold the clear truth of God's word. All of the chief priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. The house of God has been polluted. And the Lord God, in verse number 3, and the Lord God, verse 13, pardon me, 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes, that's literally continually and carefully, God sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Would you look here for a moment? The goodness of God. I don't understand how people can read God's word and think that God is some austere, cruel God up in heaven that is very, in mercy, he sent messengers to his land and to his people in such darkness and condition, saying, look, you are headed down the wrong, in the wrong direction. Stop. Turn from this. He sent prophet after prophet and warning after warning, but yet with a stiff neck and hardened heart, they were determined. As we looked not long ago, like a horse that rushes into battle. They were determined. What love, the Bible says, he had compassion on his people and compassion on his dwelling place. And if you're here this evening or watching this evening and you have yet to repent of your sins, take this exhortation, this warning tonight as another sign of God's compassion towards you. We imagine God's compassion would be something where he would put us in a nice armchair and bring to us a hot cup of coffee or tea and 
and listen to all of our sorrows. Tell me how you're feeling. And that's our estimation of what we think that God's compassion would look like. But God's compassion is much, much greater. In fact, it is so deep and so, and so full that he would shake you to the very core and say, wake up because the path that you're on is one that leads to eternal destruction. That's compassion. Compassion is not me sitting next to you and agreeing with your sin so that you might feel comfortable and safe in your wickedness as you go to hell. That's not compassion. That's deceitfulness. And God in mercy tonight wishes to shake you, to awaken you. I wonder if you'll hear him. I wonder if you will hear his messenger tonight. I wonder if you will listen or will you like these people who had heard the messengers time and time again, continuously and carefully, the prophets came, the messengers came one after another, and they very carefully gave a message pleading with this people that they would turn. But they refused. In fact, the Bible says they mocked. They mocked the messengers of God. Can I just encourage you tonight, if you are a child of God who has given your life to warning others and telling others of God's grace and mercy that is offered if they would turn from their sins unto the Savior, uh, if you are one that has given your life to warning those, do not grow discouraged. Do not stop. No matter if they mock you because they will, do not grow disheartened in this battle. Because even here they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words and misused his prophets. A threefold response. One of mocking, one of despising, and one of misusing or abusing, you could say. They mocked. Can I just tell you kindly tonight in mocking the messengers of God you mock the God of the messenger and in despising the words of the messenger you are actually despising the word of God because the messenger should be if he is a faithful messenger should be declaring thus saith the Lord and for you to despise and hate that message of repentance and hate that message of turning from that sin and looking unto Christ, if you hate the message of one way of salvation, then you don't hate the messenger's words, you hate God's words. They misuse his prophets. Matthew 23, the Lord Jesus gave the very same, indict same indictment. You may wish to turn there or listen in Matthew 23. In verse number 34, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of 
Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. What an indictment that Christ pronounced upon the nation of Israel. In their rejection of the prophets and in their rejection of the Messiah, in the rejection of God's word, Christ says, I would have very willingly, I would have oftentimes, multiple times, I would have gathered you beneath my wings and have taken you as my own, but you would not. Can I ask you tonight, is this you? Does this describe you that Christ even tonight beckons you? Come find shelter beneath his wings. Come find shelter and safety and deliverance beneath the wings of Christ. And yet you, like these, would not. You stand beneath the judgment of God that is to come. Instead of running beneath the shelter of his wings. Is this you tonight? The Bible says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, I know there's a, another interpretation of that last verse, but can I tell you, you will never see Christ, never know Christ, until you, by the grace of God, say, Blessed is he. Finally, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. They misused his prophets. Look here. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. I was visiting this family late Friday night. And the man said to me, why is all of this happening to our family? One after another. One after another. Are we under a curse? I said, yes, you're under the curse of the law. You're under the curse of sin. And this will continue until you repent, until you come to the one, the only one who can deliver you from that, which is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, the Lord. There is no remedy besides Christ. And if you continue to reject him, do you know what Proverbs 29 and verse number 1 says? Listen carefully. This is a very sober verse. He that being often reproved, meaning if God constantly tells you off, constantly reproves you again and again, and you harden your neck, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. If you keep saying no to God and you keep hardening your neck, if you keep like a horse, like a mule, puts the bit beneath your teeth and hardens your neck, and you determine you'll go your own way like a horse rushes into battle, then there may come a time very soon when you'll be suddenly destroyed without remedy. Now, is there hope? Yes. Yes, there is. In fact, Solomon once said that as long as you're alive, there's hope. I don't know when you cross that line, but 
Solomon once wrote, for to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. And a dog was despicable in those days. And a lion majestic. But if a lion's dead and a dog is alive, then a dead, an alive dog is better than a dead lion. And although you may be crippled by your sin and your life may be broken in a million pieces, if you're alive, there's hope. But I would not wait any longer. I would not send away that hope. Or sin away that opportunity. The Bible says in our text in 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles, pardon me, chapter 36 and verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this was after, after that 70 years of desolation. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God, be with him. Let him go up. Now tonight, if you be lost in dead and trespasses and sins and your neck is stiff and your heart is hard, then I encourage you to turn from your sins, Micah. Turn from your sins while there's still time. If you be a part of his church but yet you are not taking seriously the condition in which the church is now laid and the condition of our nation then hear the question that Cyrus once asked who is there among you of all of his people is there anybody amongst his people is there anybody ready to rise up to build again is there anybody who whose mind is alert whose heart has been quickened Ready to rebuild that which has been destroyed. And by the way, it will be rebuilt on our knees. In prayer. In humility before God. Who is there among you? Can you imagine a pagan king? Persian king. Saying, is there anyone left of God's people? Is there anyone of God's people? Is there anyone that may call themselves a child of God that is available and willing to rebuild what has been destroyed? If so, the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Tonight, would you look this way? If there be, can I ask, who is there among you of all his people? Are you one of them? If so, then the Lord our God be with you and let us go up together to rebuild what has been desecrated by God's grace. Our Savior leads the way, doesn't he? There's always a remnant. There was in that day a remnant who were stirred, who were concerned and burdened. I'm thankful that God has brought to us a measure of people, some people, we're greatly burdened by the condition and the state of Christianity. 
So let us rise up and go. There came a time when God said to his people, there was no more healing. But can I tell you, look here, there's healing in Christ. Is there no balm in Gilead? There is. Is there no more remedy? There is. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. But I do not know how much longer he may be offered unto you. So take him. Call upon his name. While he may be found. Before you cross that line. Believer. Let's go up. There's work to be done, isn't there? I believe there's work to be done, and by God's grace, let us enter in to that promised rest and let us do what he's called us to do. I want you to bow your head with me in prayer. I wonder if the Lord is dealing with you. If you're lost, come to him. If you're lost, but you don't know how to get to him, but you know that you're lost and you know you need to get to him, the best thing you can do is cry out like a lost sheep because a shepherd always hears that cry. Believer, let us rise. I don't want to be a part of the problem, do you? I want to be a part of the solution. In Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven. We sense that perhaps. We like Israel. Like Israel of old. We sense that we have approached that. Place. That line of. There being no more remedy. We ask thee in mercy grant unto us. Another chance. May we as thy children, if we be bold enough to ask thee for another chance, then give us, give us an understanding of how much we need thee. Give us a humility of heart that we might listen to the words of thy prophets in thy book. That we might humble ourselves beneath thy word. We might be willing to follow Christ Jesus, that great prophet, priest, and king. That we may remove all the desolation of thy house. We might cleanse it by thy spirit's power. That we might hear and heed that call to go up. Rally thy people together, Lord. May we weep over the condition of our nation. May it break our heart, the condition of the church. May we not just talk about it, Lord. But may we weep between the doorposts. May we cry aloud. And help us, Father, to hear thy cry and obey that cry. Obey that call. I pray for the lost tonight, Lord, please, in mercy. Don't let them harden their heart or neck, Lord, but in mercy turn them. In mercy, soften them and draw them to thyself. We commit these things to thee in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, and for his sake.